Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening, and we want others to love it, too. We are also authors and invite you to check out our books, including my book, The 2030-Something Garden Guide and No Fuss Down and Dirty Gardening 101 for anyone who wants to grow stuff. And my books, including Potted and Pruned, Homegrown and Handpicked, and Seeded and Sodded, my trilogy of gardening humor, and my new book, Creatures and Critters, Who's in My Garden? You can ask for any of our books at your favorite bookstore or find them online wherever books are sold. Speaking of online, you can also find us as The Garden Angelus on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And we'd love for you to join our Facebook group, The Garden Angelus Garden Club. And now on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Good morning, Carol. How are you? I'm good. So what's going on in your garden? Summertime and the living is easy, as they say. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's a lot easier than spring when we're trying to get it together. Right, I'm still trying to get it together. But I was the garden whisperer yesterday. I went over... And visited my two sisters' gardens that are not far from here. And at my condo sister, I trimmed back her cherry tomatoes, which are growing amazingly well in their smart pot. Um, mm-hmm. Her basil was starting to show a little bit of uh, powdery mildew. So I thinned out all the seedlings because she hadn't thinned them at all. So she must have had 20 plants in a little six-inch pot. That's a lot. That is. And so I, I thinned them way out and I says they need a little, they need a little air and breathing room. Right. And then I fertilized everything there. Then I went on down the road to my other sister who lives in a, where, she lives in the house we all grew up in. Right. Right. And I checked out her new raised bar garden that she had her kids do and it looks really nice. And uh, while I was there, there were some lilacs that needed trimming, and I trimmed them for her very quickly because I had my handy-dandy pruners with me, as always. Doesn't everyone? I said, well, these need to be pruned back, and I just knew she would never go back far enough. And so I pruned them, and she's like, oh, I would never have gone that far back. And she says, and they look wonderful. Oh, good. So, and then we pulled a few weeds, and she's got some weeds, but it's nothing that's, it's not out of control. So... Speaking of trimming, in my garden, Bill bought himself for his his birthday, he bought himself a new set of electric trimmers, and these are from DeWalt. They're good ones. Yeah, they're good ones. We have a lot of DeWalt tools. I can say nothing but good things about DeWalt. I'm not, and believe me, DeWalt didn't give me a dime. I paid them lots of money for these things, but the batteries last a long time. Anyway, he bought these tools for himself, a pole saw an electric chainsaw that isn't on a pole, and electric trimmers. And so I took the electric trimmers and I took them to my boxwood. And my boxwood hedge has never looked better. And it was fast and it was easy. And then I took them to the other boxwood hedge. I only have two. And then I went and did some other stuff. And then he and I did some pole sawing. So we trimmed up a whole bunch of our trees. And then my son came over and he helped trim up too. So that, I wasn't going to actually talk about that, but trimming reminded me of those trimmers. And so when we were lying in bed last night, I said, hey, does DeWalt make an electric string trimmer, a weed eater? And he said, yes, yes, they do. And I said, happy birthday, Bill. I think you need one. 
because I'll use it. Because I hate, I hate pulling the deal to start a oh. weed eater. It's so hard. I hate gasoline-powered things. I never, I always buy electric or rechargeable battery-powered ones because I hate the electrical, I mean the gasoline. All of these, yeah, and you have to have special gas that you have to, like, do for two-cycle engines, and it's just a pain in the neck. So I said, I think you need one of those, and he started laughing, and he said, okay, I'll go buy one. So these are battery-operated, and they're rechargeable batteries, and all the batteries are interchangeable. So yes. I think, I'm excited. I hope he gets some today or tomorrow well i have a dewalt reciprocating saw that i use for trimming and i always say if it's too big for the reciprocating saw i probably need to call a professional absolutely although bill used a pole saw and brennan climbed up on ladders brennan said he felt like he'd been hit by a truck but i really appreciate him coming over and helping his dad because i helped with a lot of it and then i got really tired so shall we talk about what we're harvesting very quickly yes you're harvesting quite a bit more than i am yeah, I did my first green beans. I could have had earlier green beans, but I didn't plant them early enough. And then yellow squash, that vegepod is a true success. I do have to fertilize, I mean, pollinate them. I have to get in there and pollinate them. But it's working, and there are no squash bugs in there. Yay. And then tomatoes, so many tomatoes. The smart pots and grassroots pots are a huge success. And at the end of the season, we need to talk about the potting soil. And then... Uh, and the reason we do is I got to figure out what to do about it. Basil. Oh my gosh. I love Emerald Towers basil. I do too. Mine are amazing. I might, and I was almost thinking about taking one of my Emerald Towers. I have a few taking one over to my sister because it would be so much better than the one she started from seed, which are fine, but yeah, it's a better, it, as far as disease resistance goes and general vigor and less flowering, it wins. Hands down. On all, on all of those. And we started those from seed this year. Easy peasy. I also have the one from Proven Winners, too, which is doing really well also. And I planted it around my fountain. What's the name of the one from Proven Winners? Amazel, Amazel Basil. Yeah, Amazel Basil. I'm also getting parsley, and I'm watching for butterflies on my dill. And I usually get a lot of butterflies when the phlox paniculata starts to bloom, and we're not quite there yet. And the lavender is fabulous. I'm really having a good gardening year, as you can tell. I, I feel like I am too. My lavender's coming along. My my picking's going to be slightly behind yours. I've had a few cherry tomatoes, but nothing to nothing to write home about yet. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about tomatoes in a minute. Yes. You want to do our quote? Yep. Up at dawn, the dewy freshness of the hour, the morning rapture of the birds, the daily miracle of sunrise, set her heart in tune and her nature's most healing balm. Louisa May Alcott. I love that. I love that. And if anybody needs healing balm right now, it's the entire world. So Yes. I do find when I get up early and get going on stuff, it's such a better day. I'm not a morning person. I have to have at least two cups of coffee before I do much. But um, just being, I often am up at dawn. I just don't get around as fast as you do. But you're also an hour ahead of me. So there's that. Um, right. Let's talk about hibiscus. Let's talk about hibiscus. You want to talk about the perennial or the tropical first, or do you want to talk about it being in the Malvaceae family? I think we should start with that, about how it's in the Malvaceae family. Along with cotton, okra, hollyhocks, and cacao, which is cacao. chocolate. Yeah, chocolate. Um, I've actually grown cotton, and yes, it's beautiful. 
And you know I grow okra. And yes, I've grown hollyhocks. It's beautiful. Okra is one of the prettiest vegetables you can grow. And if you can grow a red variety, um, it's just about as beautiful as it gets. And it attracts bumblebees and carpenter bees. So it's a, it's a great flower. Great open flowers with lots and lots of pollen from that family. Right. And so there's two kinds in your flower garden. Although you could put okra in your flower garden. You could. Um, that we wanted to talk about. And that is the perennial variety of hibiscus, which is perfectly hardy, even in my garden. And then the tropical. Right. I grow both. A lot of both. I do not grow a lot of both. I have one. That's un- I'm surprised. I know. I just never think to get them. I have one perennial one that I actually got as a sample plant last year from Roseanne and Friends, which is a brand of perennials. And they say it's hardy down to minus 21 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's pretty darn hardy. That's really hardy. I hadn't thought about that. Um, They die. The perennial ones die to the ground every year here. Same here. And then they come right, and then they come right back in, I'd say late spring here. The weather has to get warm enough to tell those shoots to send up. Um, I grow, are we just talking about perennial right now? Yes, we're just talking about perennial. Okay. I have a ton of them. Um, all different kinds. One of my very favorites is called, I think it's called Be My Valentine. And it's a dark, dark red. It's considered a dwarf, although it's still really tall. And then another favorite is Moy Grande, which is just like its name. It's huge and takes it, it as a huge corner of the garden. And I look forward to it every year. And that Be My Valentine. Oh my goodness. It's up in the wall garden and it's just, it's really gorgeous right now. I'll take a picture of it. Well, mine needs to bloom for me to see what it is, but it, um, it has like a reddish and green foliage, which is very pretty. Uh huh. And it might be their variety peppermint schnapps, which is a great big pink flower. Mm, I pretty. mean, huge. And some of these perennial, they can be like six, eight inches across. They're right. Huge. Right. Moy Grande has huge blooms and it's about six feet tall for the plant. I mean, huge pink blooms. I'm holding my hands. Nobody else can see it, but you know. And then, um, well, speaking of, wait a minute, we, so okay. they can get six feet tall. So sometimes this is, this is a back of the border plant, or this is one that definitely may need some staking in order to keep it from flopping over. Might. Yeah. I don't have to stake mine in full sun, but. Um, they definitely are toward the bottom of the garden because they're huge. And, but I do have a dwarf one that's red and it's like cranberry something. And it's an older one and it's truly dwarf. It only gets two feet tall. That's pretty nice. So you can have all different sizes. I guess what we're telling you now is in this, in this variety of perennial hibiscus or hardy hibiscus, depending on who you're talking to, which is, Say it, hibiscus lazio carpos, right? Yes, there are two. There's two native hibiscus, uh, the hibiscus lazicarpus, which is rose mallow, and then there's hibiscus mosquitos. Mosh or mosquitos. Well, I did a pronunciation thing, and it's pronounced like mosquitos, mosquitos, which is like a mosquito. Yeah, swamp rose. <laughs> but it, <laughs> it's swamp rose mallow. Anyway, all the all the hardy hibiscus that you're going to grow are probably hybrids. They're they're, they're not hybrids yeah. of 
of these various plants. Yes. And so there's a lot of different ones you can get now. And there are some that run in the blue to lavender range, which get you closer to that other hibiscus that you didn't really want to talk about. Rose of Sharon. Right. So there are hybrids. There are hybrids of perennial hibiscus because Rose of Sharon used to be an Althea. Right. And then they actually put it back into the hibiscus family. And you don't want the old traditional Rose of Sharon because that darn thing puts seeds everywhere. And in some places it's considered invasive. However, there are versions of it that are hybrids that don't produce seeds. And one of those is sugar tip. Don't say that too fast. Mm. And it's a variegated form. And it has a double bloom that is a light, light pink. And then there are all these other ones that have come out recently that are shades of blue, like blue chiffon to lavender, lavender chiffon. So here's our advice. If you want a perennial hibiscus of any sort, go to your nursery when they're blooming. Yes. That's my advice. And get them so you see the color. See the color. And then while they're in the pots, look them up online on Google because you might not want an eight foot tall shrub. Right. So that's our advice. And then we haven't even talked about Texas star hibiscus, which is another one. So it is hibiscus cochineus. And its leaves look a little bit like marijuana. And so as a joke, a lot of people in Texas grew it in their front yards as a joke. So it has a totally different bloom. And I don't think I don't think it's at all hardy in Indiana. I would be guessing that it's probably not. It most of them are hardy in Oklahoma, at least my part of Oklahoma, seven A. I don't know about six B. So anyway, there's a lot of choices in perennial hibiscus. I guess that's what we could say. Yes, many choices. Many. So we choices. move on to the tropical. You're you're on your own with this one because I don't grow tropicals. Okay, I love the tropical hibiscus. I think they're beautiful. And there's a lot of new ones out in those too. And Hollywood Hibiscus, which is a great, it's a great company that has invested a whole lot of money in both perennial, although they don't sell the perennials under the Hollywood name. The Hollywood Hibiscus name is for the tropicals, as best I can figure out. I have grown both Hotshot and Gossip Queen. All of the Hollywood hibiscus have names like that. Like there's Trophy Wife. There's a bunch of different ones. Hot Shot's a bright, <laughs> bright. I know that's funny. Hot Shot's a bright, bright red with a dark, dark center. And they're all good plants. I've grown them. I've grown other brands too of tropical hibiscus, but I, I grow all of those in pots because they love the heat in Oklahoma and they look really good on my deck. And I've grown all different kinds. So, and I, I just, um, I don't grow any tropical hibiscus. In fact, I, I'm kind of thinking if I even seen those at my garden center, probably. And I just thought to myself, I don't grow those. Well, my advice is wherever you grow them, buy a really big plant, because if you get too small a plant, it doesn't have a long enough season to get to bloom size. And then you just wasted your money, spend the good money, buy a big plant. And you can also get them trained as a standard. I have some friends who grow them like that. Right. And so here's the thing about the Hollywood hibiscus. It'll give your your back patio a very tropical feel mm-hmm. with all the big blooms and everything. Now, do you try to do you overwinter yours in your greenhouse? Oh heck no. No, I don't. I mean, if I had a standard one with the bark that is braided, I might do that, but I my 
it isn't big enough to overwinter all of my tropical plants. And I can find them every year at Westlake. And so I just go by whatever the newest variety is because I really like them. They look good on my patio along with like Esperanza, um, oh, Cape. I can't think of what it is right now, but I'll think of it later. Just all the Cape Plumbago. Cape Plumbago, which is blue, Esperanza, which is either oranges or yellows, and then you put in tropical hibiscus. It just looks really good on my deck. I'll do a little video. All right. We look forward to the video. Shall we go on to the next quote and the next topic? Well, you got to talk about grasshoppers. Why do I got to talk about grasshoppers? I don't have grasshoppers on my hibiscus. You don't have grasshoppers on them? No, not that oh. I've noticed. I've got one out there, D. One, one hardy hibiscus. Oh. Well, okay, in Oklahoma and Texas and other places, grasshoppers are a huge problem on hibiscus and also some other plants. So huh. use Nolo bait. I talk about Nolo bait a lot. They're back up and running. It's time to get some right now if you live where I live. In fact, I need to order some as soon as we get off this podcast because I'm having trouble with it. It on, on that and on Crocosmia, they're a nightmare. Okay. I next. haven't even seen a grasshopper yet this year, so. There yeah. you go. Sometimes it's good to live in the ten- northern tundra. Well, paradise as I call it. Whatever. The next quote. It's difficult to think anything but pleasant thoughts while eating a homegrown tomato by Lewis Grizzard. He's right. Exactly. And you've already had homegrown tomatoes. Let's not talk about it. I've had homegrown main season tomatoes, which is early here. But let's talk about tomato troubles and triumphs. We thought this would be a good time to give you guys a pep talk about your tomatoes, because I'm getting a lot of questions. Right. So there will be troubles before the triumph. Absolutely. Everybody has something. And Carol really, really organized our tomato troubles today. I did. So we were going to talk first about environmental issues. Yes. And there, there are three things, blossom in rot, sun scald, and fruit cracks. And I think it's pretty obvious what those are. Yeah, I get all of them. Let's talk a little bit about blossom end rot because people get a little confused about that. And if you've never grown tomatoes before, you are horrified when it happens to you. Yeah, you look at that beautiful tomato and then you turn on on the bottom and it'd be all black Mm -hmm. and gushy. And And disgusting. Yuck. And you're like, what did I do wrong? You did nothing. Well, you might have done something wrong. You did nothing wrong. You probably did nothing wrong. (laughs) Blossom end rot is all about calcium uptake. And so when a the tomato gets really dry and then wet and really dry and then wet, you can end up with blossom end rot. And it's often a problem I find earlier in the season, but as sure. things level out, it stops. Right. It's a problem when you're getting a lot of rain um, because there's no way to prevent it from happening when there's a lot of rain. You'll read lots and lots of stuff online like pouring milk into the soil. Don't do that. Um, yeah, there's don't a put lot eggshells of, down there. No, Epsom none of salts, that. No, it doesn't matter. No, the truth of the matter is, it's going to settle itself down and just pull off the ones that have blossom and rot and throw them away in the compost or whatever. It doesn't matter. And um, I have, and certain varieties have much more of a propensity to have blossom and rot than other ones. And one of those that's really bad, and I forgot, and I planted it this year is Roma. Roma is the worst. It's the pits. And a friend gave me two plants and she also gave me two plants of San Marzano. And guess what? San Marzano doesn't have any blossom and rot. Roma does. Well, I'll tell you about San Marzano here in a minute. So, but the fruit cracks, 
that's where you have a beautiful tomato and then it has a big crack in it. Yeah. And that's when it, when it rains after it's been really dry, then the, the fruit just absorbs too much moisture and it cracks the skin. You can sometimes still eat them. And sometimes yeah. they crack around the top right at the stem. I've noticed, yeah, especially just heirlooms, off. just cut that off and eat the rest of the tomato. That part ripens last anyway, because all fruit ripens from the blossom up. So if you, so everything that's where the blossom was, that's the ripest part of the fruit. Yeah. And then sun scald is when, and you have, you have to watch for this more than I think I do. And that's if the fruit doesn't have good shading by the foliage, you can end up with, uh, like light areas where there's, um, the sun scalds it. It's like a sunburn. It's on one side of your tomato. And again, don't worry about it. Cut off that section and eat it. I mean, don't eat the section that's sun scalded. Right. Eat the rest of the tomato. But don't worry about it. And also in places that it's really hot, don't pinch off all of your suckers because those help, you know, provide some leafy shade. Okay, so next. Right, right. Next problem. So next up are the diseases. There are so many. Now, there's three major blights that can attack tomatoes. Okay, I have a question. This really I have a question before you do. Yeah. Can you tell yours apart, the blights? Nope. Okay, nope. I think we need to tell them that up front. I don't care which blight yeah, it is. Yeah, don't worry about which one you have. It's Just, either septoria leaf spot, early blight, or late blight. Don't worry about it. Right. It's blight. It's blight. Get rid of the leaves that are blighted. Some fungal diseases will kill the whole plant, but a lot of times they won't. So... Yeah, I rarely lose an entire tomato plant to fungus. If you seem like you're going to lose the whole plant, the best thing you can do is suck it up, pull it out, throw it in the trash. And when you pull the leaves off that are starting to show some blight, throw those in the trash, not the compost. Yeah, don't compost those because they provide more diseases when you use the compost if you grow tomatoes with your compost. So try not to worry too much about them. I'm going to link to some articles and stuff, but the Purdue University, which I'm familiar with. Yeah. They recommend that you not plant tomatoes in the same spot for like three years after you've grown there. So, so. that's my question about my pots next year. Will I need yes. all new potting soil? I'm going to go with a big yes on that. That's an expensive proposition. Okay, next. So next up are insects. And there's two that you might, one you're probably definitely going to see. And that's tomato and tobacco hornworms, and they're big and ugly. Yeah. And you'll know when you go out there, you look at the plant, and you think something's wrong because it doesn't have any leaves anymore. Right. And that's because the hornworm has eaten them. And then you look on the ground, you'll see their frass, which is like great big, great big black things. So you got to stare at the plant to try to find it because it's very camouflaged when you find it. Yeah, they're green. You pick them off. The tomato. <laughs> throw them on the ground, stomp on them, or throw them out for the birds. Get rid of them. Okay, and there's this whole thing that goes around about how you shouldn't kill tomato or tobacco hornworms. Um, you know, if you're, if you're someone who is really into that particular sphinx moth, those two particular ones, you can move them to another tomato plant that you're using as a sacrificial lamb. What will probably happen if you do that, because I have done that before, if I have a tomato that maybe I've harvested a couple of tomatoes off of it, and it's not a good one, right? right? And so I go, oh, well, I don't care about that plant. So I just move all the tobacco and tomato hornworms to it. Well, what I've noticed is then the, tom then the hornworms get um, attacked by 
wasps, those little wasps. Yep, parasitic wasps. Eggs on yeah, them. and that's and then it becomes then it becomes a science experiment that you can watch with your family members and freak them out for all time about bugs. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Anyway, you can watch them, and they are kind of fascinating. Um, it'll kill it. It par- paralyzes it and kills it. Um, eats it from the inside out, honestly. Right. The other insect problem that I have occasionally seen outside, but it's more often if... I have it. White flies. You have white flies? I have it. I have them right now. Uh-huh. Because I think because my plants in those containers are so close together, it's encouraging white fly problems, but they're not causing anything no. too huge. No. And you can... What do you do with white flies? I would... Uh, I would just spray them off real good as best I could. Yeah, I spray them off with water. And I've seen them a little bit, and they're just just—they're not that bad. But this year, for the first time, I've got them a little bit. Okay, next. Next would be the other category, and this is would be every once in a while, you go out there to get that big, juicy tomato and realize that something took a bite out of it the night before. Yeah. I blame that on squirrels and chipmunks. It could be raccoons, but it is possible for critters to take a bite out. Especially if it's really dry out because they know there's moisture in there. Yeah. And then the last thing is people don't plan for how big a tomato plant can get. And so they undersize. I still have another. What? I have another pest. What? I'm on to others. Oh, birds. Birds can peck it out. Birds. Birds will peck a couple of holes in every tomato on the plant. One way to stop that is don't grow red tomatoes. If you live in an area that is a highly urban area, Grow tomatoes that are yellow or ripe when they're green. Okay, moving on to not enough support. Well, um, I was going to say the tomato plants, well-grown, can get very ginormous. So you need a stake that's well-secured yeah. in the ground. And if you decide to cage, and we'll get into staking and caging some other day. If you decide to cage, you need a very sturdy cage made out of cattle fencing or something. Not one of those little flimsy things you could buy at the store. Those are worthless. Don't. I actually use them. Don't don't listen to her. I use the ones that you buy at the store for my determinate tomatoes, and then I use great big cages from Garden Supply, Gardener Supply, and they work really Did well. Did you tell people not to listen to me? I told them not to worry about the caging versus staking. Yes, <laughs> oh, I did. I'm sorry. Anyway. Because we don't agree on that, which just shows that everybody does things slightly different. Oh, now we're going to talk about really good ones. So I've, I've only harvested a couple of hand... A uh, couple cherry tomatoes, but you've gotten some big ones, and I'm jealous. I saw a picture. I have. I, I have a bunch of big ones. Bunch. Like, I harvested twice that many the next day than what I put on Instagram. So, Braggart. I think, I don't care. I think because I grew them in containers. You cheated. The main season, t- <laughs> I did not cheat. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Tell us all about your delicious, I, wonderful tomatoes, Dee. You're going to have tomatoes in a month. I know. but go. And plus, it's going to get up to 100 degrees here this week, and so I won't get any tomatoes while yep. it's 100 degrees. Anyway. That causes blossoms to fall off. So don't worry about that either, people. All right. So I, oddly, this time, my main season tomatoes have started bearing before my cherry tomatoes. Is that not weird? That is weird. That is so weird, and I'm growing all kinds of heirlooms, and some of them are big, huge, indeterminate, giant plants. They're seven feet tall, and they love those They love those pots, and I'm so glad. So my favorite tomato of all time as of this moment is 1884 Yellow Pink Heart. 
I got mine from the Tomato Man's Daughter, but they sell seeds online. It's a great big old heirloom. And because it's an heirloom, I have two plants of it this year because I love it so much. And one of them is a little tiny spindly plant. And the other one's a great big mamu plant, but they're producing the exact same fruit. Huh. Is that not the weirdest? That is weird. I won't tell you my favorite until I'm actually picking it. And then my other favorite is Gary Osina. That's, I would say that's my other, and I had never heard of it before this year. It's an amazing tomato. Of course, Mortgage Lifter's really good too, and they're both potato leaf type. Right. And I only have a few cherry tomatoes so far, but you have quite a few. Yes, I do. And I picked just a couple of them. Nothing to write home about yet. But they'll start producing like crazy. And you know what? They're really good with pasta. They are. I think. In addition to just eating out of hand. So let's go on to the bookshelf, D, and tell people about this book. We don't actually own this book yet, do we? <laughs> no, but I suspect we're going to buy it because we got a copy um, from the publisher. And, oh, my goodness, it's pretty. And that's the French Country Cottage Inspired Gatherings by Courtney Allison. So in in this time when you can't travel anywhere except for pretty much by car, you certainly can't travel overseas this book is beautiful and it takes you out of yourself and you get to, you know, enjoy something fun. Get off social media, people. I love social media, sort of. I used to love it. I don't love it so much right now. And reading a good book or looking at a good book. Well, we were yeah. blown away by the pictures in this book and it's just full of inspiration. If you want to set a pretty table setting and really show off your homegrown vegetables, you know, or you're having a socially distanced picnic outside, you could open up this book and just be inspired to really kind of take it up a notch. And not in an expensive, like, I got to buy all new China way, but using what you have and fresh flowers from the garden is just beautiful. So we recommend that book. It is. We do. We do. And I'm supposed to give a socially distanced um, wedding shower in July. So let's hope the numbers start to go back down. That would be nice. You got another quote for us? I do. You'll shoot your eye out. That's who's, the quote. Who's that quote from? <laughs> That's from the, the movie, The Christmas Story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is based on the book by Gene Shepard. Oh, yeah. My mom right. loved that movie with the little boy who wants the Red Rider rifle. BB gun. Whatever. BB gun. BB gun. And his mom says, you'll shoot your eye out. And so we just wanted to do a little public service announcement that Dee and I have both at different times done something really kind of I don't want to say dumb. It just feels dumb when you've done it. <laughs> I leaned down to pick up a stick. I poked my eye with another stick. And I ended up with a scratch cornea and three trips to the eye doctor to get yep. it healed. Yep. <laughs> I did the same thing two years ago. By the way, her eye is fine. My eye is fine. But I ripped it really bad. And I also had to go three times. And um, in my case, I was using – I was – Oh, I know. I was cutting back crepe myrtles. And they have those really stiff sticks. Yeah. Boy, one got me. And uh, so I always wear glasses in the garden. I wear glasses now anyway. And Carol's going to wear safety glasses. Right. And I went to the local hardware store to a Menards, and I bought a a pack of four safety glasses for $4.99. It's a heck of a lot cheaper. I just spent $5 (laughs) before I started pruning. And you know what? In my... 
defense. I was wearing sunglasses and they had gotten like fogged up or something. And I lifted them up and then I went down to pick up one more twig and that's when I got it. So, yeah, kind of similar to my experience too. So be careful, everyone. You don't want to poke your eye out. That's right. So let's wrap this thing up. We've talked to all around hibiscus tomatoes and pretty books and anyway, we... We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, and most of you do, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others and by the algorithm. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. It was lovely to chat with you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye.